Good day. I'm Mark Sylvester, your host for this Hacking the Red Circle conversation, where we talk to people in the TEDx world you'll want to know better. The show is designed to learn what it takes to produce, organize, promote, and create a world-class event. If you're an experienced organizer, you'll get some great tips. Veteran organizers share lessons they've learned so that first-timers can avoid common missteps. There are hundreds of amazing people in the TEDx universe, and we talk to a lot of them. If this is your first time to the show, welcome. We produce Hacking the Red Circle every week. You'll want to subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. Now, on with the show. Hey, everybody. Today, I I have been looking forward to this conversation. I would like you to meet Steve Gargiulo, who is now at, he has been at Johnson and Johnson, but formerly you studied at PSU, Penn State, and we had Herbert on the show. Steve, welcome to the show. Excited to be here. I'm, you know, you're, you're one of the, um, the rock stars in the TEDx world. I think when, when you talk to the, the new kids, you know, when they look at to the, to the people who they look to for advice, you're clearly one of those people. And I want to talk to you today about what you've done at J and J and, and just a little bit about like kind of, I really would like to know how did you get started with Ted in the first place? I mean, what, what was your origin story like? Yeah. So, uh, and again, thank you for, for having me here. Excited to be here. So, uh, I remember watching Ted talks probably soon after they went online. So, 2007 2008 yeah. time frame yeah. and in 2010 i think it was in february of 2010 i remember scrolling through my facebook feed and seeing on my news feed a friend of mine was going to tedx cmu at carnegie mellon university oh, right, right 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 and i thought that's cool that's near me that was in, in pittsburgh i was in you know pennsylvania at the time yeah i thought it's cool that there's one at carnegie mellon i said when's the one at penn state <laughs> and i looked i didn't know i didn't know how it worked <laughs> And I assumed that there was just one everywhere. Of course, sure. Uh, And it was like, oh, there isn't one at Penn State. I was like, you know, someone should really do that. And then I noodled on it for a little bit and thought, you know, I wonder if I could get together a team that could do that. Uh, And so that's how it happened. And so we started TEDxPSU. We did that in 2010. And then not too long after that, um, you know, going into this large corporate environment, Johnson and Johnson, 130,000 people, $75 billion company. Um, I was coming in trying to drive new thinking and trying to drive, um, you know, just doing things differently. What what did you get hired to do at J and J? Um, so when I joined, um, it was actually to focus on, uh, distribution of our consumer products in emerging markets. So I had experience in school. My degree is in humanitarian engineering and social entrepreneurship. And I spent time in Kenya and in India and in Morocco. And it's kind of based on that experience was thinking about how do we think differently about getting our consumer products into, uh, you know, sub-Saharan Africa, Middle East, Eastern Europe. And, um, you know, so selfishly, I wanted to advance new ideas, new ways of doing things and quickly learn that that was not necessarily easy. Right. Um, and so hearkening on my previous TEDx experience thought, you know, I wonder what that could look like in a corporate environment. And so which, I didn't have. Which hadn't been done. It hadn't been done in any kind of global scale. It had been done in some one offs. I think the actual the first ever. Um, ironically, to a certain degree, the first ever TEDx corporate license was actually from Pfizer. 
Um, there's a guy called Chris Poss who did an event. Oh, at, I've met uh, Chris. At Pfizer. Yeah. Um, but the funny thing is, is uh, after a couple of events, someone in Pfizer's internal licensing or HR or legal team or something said, "Who are you to sign this licensing agreement? You can't co-brand." And they shut it. They shut down the whole. Oh thing. no. Um, which I think is a risk many people face uh, trying to do this kind uh, of thing. Fortunately, you know, five years into TEDx J and J, that problem has has never occurred. Um, but but yeah, it had been done in small and kind of small things. Um, which I didn't even really know at that time, but I thought, I thought, you know, why not try to start this kind of TEDx thing in a corporate environment? And so no permission, no money, no whatever, just signed up for a license. Cause why not? Um, and brought together 60 people at a bar after hours, um, couple speakers made a little makeshift website, put the talks up uh, kind of on our internal intranet. And then I started getting phone calls. Um, and obviously like good reviews from that event and whatever, sure. But also started getting phone calls like a team in Singapore, J and J team. They're like, "Hey, this is cool. Can we do this here?" And it's like, "Sure." And so talk to them. Team in Switzerland, team in the UK, team in Canada, team in Brazil. And pretty quickly, it became clear that we were starting to assemble really a community of the change makers within Johnson and Johnson, um, and the people who wanted to challenge the status quo, think differently, you know, talk about new ideas, talk about our future. Um, and so anyway, I think your original question was how did it get started? I went a little beyond that, but that's basically how things got started. Well, what, one of the things is I'm, I'm interested in the human side of it, right? Because um, it takes uh, a, a tremendous amount of energy to do this. You did not get a degree in event planning, uh, sponsorship, management, AV, production. I mean, all the things that it takes to do this, you, you know, you were on a mission and yet you have gone on, you know, tell the audience now where you are five years later. I mean, from yeah. doing it as a well, bar, th- <laughs> in a bar yeah. for 60 people, where are you now five years later? I mean, I think just a quick aside, I think the beauty of the TEDx community is that like no TEDx organizers or professional event planners or speaker right. coaches or in many cases, right? It's things we've learned on the And that's kind of what makes the magic happen, which I love. Right. Um, and then it's bringing together people who don't who, and, you know, you figure it out. But, um, but yeah, you know, at this point now, kind of five years into having done TEDx J and J as this side thing, two years into that, um, I got called into the head of HR's office and I wasn't sure what was about to happen. <laughs> um, right. and they kind of like, what are you doing? What's happening here? What are these events? What's Whatever. this TED thing? Yeah. Are you, you're Ted, you're Steve, what's <laughs> going on here? I'm sure a lot of us get that, right? Right. Um, and Thirty minutes into the uh, meeting, he offered me a job to join our talent development organization and lead this and work on driving a culture of innovation for J and J, built on the back of this community um, that we had assembled, which at that time was about four thousand people, and now three years later is about twenty three thousand people across J and J. And of course, we have an engagement index where, you know, of those twenty three thousand, there's maybe uh, four thousand that are highly super engaged, that kind of stuff. But yeah, so now TEDxJNJ is one program um, out of this office of creative engagement that's focused on driving a culture of innovation through expanding creative confidence and creative capacity, unbearing and amplifying ideas, building capability, developing change makers. So a lot of different development programs, training programs, different kinds of things that we do that's all focused on from a grassroots perspective, really advancing culture change. That is 
from an organizational development point of view with uh, 130,000 people, that's a huge ship of state to move. And is the Office of, in creative, of creative Engagement something that didn't exist until this conversation in HR? Correct. Correct. Great. And do you run that? Yes. And so, I mean, just think about that listener. Here's a guy who goes to school, says there's a need, fills the need. Your first job is J&J, right out of school. You then, two years later, is running a, a department. How big is that division? Uh, I mean, staff-wise, it's like five, but obviously we have the community of 23,000 exactly. people. There you go. Exactly. Right. So you're, so there's an idea we're spreading that has, you know, the, the idea is how can we, t- what, what, what is that idea? How do we, how do we engage the, the bright minds in this company to be able to filter ideas? I mean, you, you, you rattled that off when you gave the mission statement for uh, the Office of Creative Engagement really quickly, but what's the idea we're spreading there? Sure. And I think the beauty of it is, and I think TEDx organizers can relate to this too, is it didn't start with some grand vision either. Right. It started with, let's do an event and see what happens. So it it would be uh, an alternate reality to try to go back and say, oh, we had this grand vision from the beginning that it was going to be culture change. It was like, no, I'll bring together some people, see what happens. Right Now, of course, six years into this change journey, yeah. we can speak more eloquently about the fact that we're really kind of cultivating this creative force and, and writing permission slips for people around the company to be able to make their ideas happen um, and focus on helping people understand that, you know, creativity is a muscle. You can exercise it just because you can't draw doesn't mean you're not creative. Um, and you can have clear action literacy and being able to take action on things and being able to make things happen. And we, you know, we have all these different um, skill sets that we're building in people now uh, now that it, things are much more mature, uh, but it's hard to start from that place because this is all based on failures and learnings uh, that that have occurred along the way. Are you familiar with the concept of kind of the universe giving you a tap on the shoulder? Uh, I, I, yes. D- did you get tapped on the shoulder? Is that what happened? Um, I don't know. Uh, maybe there's th- maybe that's something that that we all share aesthetics organizers is that mm, we feel like mm. there's something that tapped us, that pushed yep, us to yep, do yep, this, yep. to want to assemble people, to want to bring people together, to want to amplify the ideas of others. Right. Um, right. And, and so that's part of why I love this community so much is that I think we can share a common piece of our heart mm. in that we all feel that. Yeah. The joy that one gets from, helping someone get onto the red circle and then launch that idea out into the universe and all of the support system around that, that has to, all the things that have to work correctly for that to happen. In your case, um, give me an example of uh, the kinds of ideas. We're all familiar with TED Talks, but we've never, we can't see your TED Talks. How are your talks internally different, would you say, than um, what we have outside the firewall, so to speak? Yeah. Well, I will say, so from like a TEDxPSU perspective, right? When we first did TEDxPSU, I thought, oh, cool way to bring people together, you know, have some whatever. Yeah. Um, 
when when these talks just exploded after and it changed the lives of some of the speakers, yes. that's when I knew there was something fascinating here. Right. You know, we had this right. professor, Ali Karchelman, who was, you know, a professor in education, passionate about engaging boys in learning, but not really part of her job. Based on her talk going on TED.com and getting millions of views, she was invited to be on this White House Council for Boys to Men. She's oh on NBC, gosh. NPR, like oh. changed her life. Sam Richards uh, had this um, uh, race relations project, elevated him to, to creating a whole center at the university called World in Conversation, where he's now connecting students in Iran with students in Israel and all, all these kinds of amazing things. That is when, for me, it was probably a year after our TEDx right. that I realized, holy right. guacamole on this, right? Yeah. And so then having that insight already coming into J&J, &J, mm. it was a matter of, that's what I want to create for people here, mm -hmm. is that what mm -hmm. I want to do is, is find the voices that don't have the platform, typically, that don't have the opportunity to really be amplified, not the senior leaders who can send an email to anybody whenever they want. But who's the woman working in a basement in one of our R&D facilities who has something interesting that she hasn't been able to share or hasn't had the ability um, to put out there? And I'll give you an example of that. Um, one of the drugs in our pharmaceutical business is called um, ketamine. It's a, it's a drug uh, for uh, depression patients. And she was working on a, a version of that that's, that's based on for basically a, a nasal uh, version of that. And while working on that, she's a brilliant mind. Uh, Tedster herself, her name's Magda Shanai. She's been to Ted Global and Ted Active. Some of you listeners may know her. Um, she was thinking, you know, gosh, if we really want to tackle this problem of depression and mental health, uh, the bigger why here is the way we diagnose depression needs to change. And this mm -hmm. Madras scale hasn't mm -hmm. changed in decades. Um, and she said, you know, I think that through video gameplay, there could actually be some exciting ways oh. to diagnose de um, depression. Oh. And so she starts trying to talk to some people in the company about like, hey, I have this idea. How do you think they look at her on that? You're crazy. We're not a video game company. Right. You know, that's not your right. job. Like keep doing right. your thing, whatever. You're kind of a wackadoo over there. Go back like, in your what? box. But by giving her the red carpet, right, mm. by elevating her idea to say this is something that's now credible and she's on a stage in mm. front of people. Mm. One, there's something the red carpet does that gives people credibility that if they set it off the red carpet, yeah. it would be viewed as yeah. crazy. Yeah. But because they're saying it there, people open up and be like, yes. And so that is this fascinating thing that I think we can harness for, for people yeah. and do for yeah. people. But what was so great about her story is then 10x that of as opposed to just using that exposure to say, great, I'm now a celebrity in the company. People like me. People send me emails, whatever. She said when the, when the 300 people send me emails that say, nice talk, great job, she wrote back to them and said, great, thank you. You're now my finance person. Great, thank you. You're now my research person. She put them all to work cultivated oh. a community of her own behind her idea to create a movement behind it that was able to get it. So she now had a skunk works team right, that was right, actually right. taking this project to clinical trials, taking this project to patent, taking this project to a point where, you know, we now have a game that we're in some conversations with Microsoft about actually like going out to market on something that never would have happened otherwise if it weren't for that red carpet moment. Um, and so that's an example of, of the kinds of things that we try to accomplish. Uh, and who stadium. doesn't want to do that? Right. Right. I mean, who, so tell me now, five years later, the fact that it's inside the company is unique, but what do you think makes your corporate TEDx unique to J and J? Yeah, I think one is obviously you know, within J and J, 
well, one, at a, at a high level, right, I view us very much as a genuine member of the TEDx community. And so that anyone who joins the TEDx J&J community very much is doing so in the same spirit and ideals of the broader TEDx community in terms of wanting to have this shared conversation about our future and right. wanting to think critically about new things, all that. Right. What's special about our community, though, what, you know, the, the, the part that goes after TEDx for most people is geography, is a geographic distinction of community. Yes. TEDx Fargo, TEDx PSU. Yes. For us, it's a, it's a distinction in terms of an organization that we're part of, which is kind of part of our identity and part of how we work. And so what makes that unique is our, our TEDx community is actually global within itself. So there's, there's participants in the TEDx J&J community that sit in Dubai, that sit in Sydney, that sit in Belgium, that sit in all corners of Earth. Um, and we have a whole global network that supports that. So that's one piece that's unique. The other is that obviously we're focused on a clear mission at Johnson & Johnson in terms of helping people live longer, healthier, happier lives and kind of our mission within healthcare. And so that doesn't mean that our content is all healthcare specific because our content is broad ranging um, as it affects the, you know, challenging the way people think and flipping switches in their brains. But ultimately right. everyone who convenes as part of TEDxJ&J does have this uh, internal focus and internal mission towards thinking, you know, we want to help patients and we want to help people live longer, healthier, happier lives. So that's probably some of the things that make us more unique versus a totally diverse, you know, group that convenes at many other TEDx's. How, uh, I think you told me off air that every week there's a TEDx J&J somewhere. Correct. On the planet. Correct. Wow. That's, that's a lot. And that's yeah, to yes. get to those 23,000 people. How, how big is the organization that does that? Cause I mean, I'm thinking of the organizer right now who's thinking, good God, I've got, you know, 15, 20 people, then 150 people on day up. Yep. And you're just thinking of all that. How, how do you engineer and, that? And keep in mind, this is now, you know, almost six years in, in terms of maturity, right? Cause it started as like small group of people, whatever. Bar. Right. Uh, exactly. Uh, now, so we have a, a leadership development program that actually supports that. So we have a, the TEDxJ&J curator who herself is, is someone on a, a development assignment. So that's a rotational assignment where I have someone on loan for 18 months from their day job. Um, the current one, uh, Penelope Mosquita, she comes from our safety organization. She's actually going to be months, on the show in a few weeks. She's here with us. She'll be on the show. She'll yeah. be at TEDfest for those of you and all that good stuff. Yeah. Um, and so uh, Penny leads TEDxJ&J. Then Penny also leads a development program with 19 leaders where we split up the globe into 19 sub-regions. And then those, sub, those sub-regional leads lead all of the campuses within those sub-regions. So the Johnson & Johnson presence of the campus of saying, you know, here, here's the list of campuses that we have in those sub-regions. Then they lead a network of, of campus leads of people wow. who are really the, the point, point of, of contact at each of those campuses. So there's a huge network. And then there's a certification process to actually become one of those campus leads where they have to take an online curriculum. They have to pass through that. They have to go through everything in terms of what does it mean to be a representative wow. of creative engagement? What does wow. it mean to organize an event like this? How do you gain sponsorship? How do you do all this? So kind of a proprietary set of curricula. Um, and so they're leading events, doing programming, doing this kind of stuff, while also gaining development around various different leadership development skills, right. mostly related to innovation, design thinking, communication skills, these kinds of things. 
Uh, and so, but there's a real way for them to learn and grow through that in terms of leading other volunteers and, and learning to be a change maker and, and not doing it so that it's just a, so, a thing totally separate from their day job, but being a thing that's great, that is separate from their day job, but they can take principles back to their day job in terms of challenging the status quo and advancing new thinking. Which sounds exactly what it's like to be a TEDx organizer on the outside. Yeah. World, right. Exactly. Uh, uh, one of the things I'd like to um, to hear on the show is, uh, you know, anybody who's a TEDx organizer, they've got a day job or they're a day job and they're a student and they're a volunteer and they're running a TEDx. I mean, that's just kind of how we are, right? That's how we roll, uh, which means you have some kind of superpower, uh, whether it's in organizing, collaborating, producing, marketing, curating, partnering. Which one of those do you think is your superpower? Gosh, um, I think, at least for me, what I love doing, I love assembling people and giving them the permission and kind of setting a bar for them. So that kind of aspect of um, setting up a team. And then I think from a curatorial perspective, back when I was doing more kind of TEDx organizing, right. I think my superpower was being able to have a sense of what other people would find interesting which I think is a rare skill that, that people don't give themselves enough credit for. If you're a really good TEDx curator, it means you're good at, at deciphering what other people will find interesting. Most people in the world don't know what other people will find interesting. They know interesting when they, when they see it maybe for themselves. Right. right. Um, but yeah. You know, I, I, I love that. I've not heard it put that way before. That the curatorial skill is finding what other people will find interesting. It's not just selecting the speakers and training it because everybody goes into the, you're thinking of the strategy of curation rather than the logistics of curation. Right. It's really discriminating on like, you know what, that's not novel or that's, you know, that may be great or this person's or whatever, but like, no. And like, where can we find it? We're missing weird. We're missing whatever. Like, um, we're missing yeah. weird. <laughs> there's, right. a, there's my t-shirt for the day. We're missing weird. No, that's a that's a conversation, and it should be in any good curatorial conversation. Do we have enough weird? Do we have enough? What's the what's the emotional journey? Do we have enough of you know? We have enough science. We have enough whatever. Um, and you try to poke those holes to put together the kind of diverse experience that you want for all of your participants. Is the training process that that okay? So that's all new in the last three years. Have you codified this? curatorial concept that you just talked about? Yes. Um, not in maybe as great of deal as we would want to, but um, we do talk about what does it mean uh, in terms of experience design? What does it mean in terms of speaker right. selection? Some of these kinds of principles. Right. Some of it's a language thing, right? Like we're very intentional about everyone's a participant, not an attendee, because th those means people show up in a different way, right? And like just those little kinds of triggers, I think, are really important. Um, and so, yes, some of the training that exists online is those kinds of things. But then some of that is people's experience as they go through things, right? That's knowledge that gets passed on or people right. bring in new knowledge or whatever. You know, none of us, you know, seven years ago knew any of this stuff. So we well, you, just make it Well, you up. said it didn't start with the grand vision. It's just been one step at a time and, and solving the problems as you go. But you, I, I'm trying to think it, when you graduated from PSU with a degree in uh, humanitarian engineering and the other things that you said that I didn't write down, um, and now doing what you're doing, did you see a straight line to that at ever in any universe? 
No, but I think you, no one would. No one ever sees that for themselves, right? So, well, um, yeah, so maybe some, some some do. Yeah, I, I'm I, generalizing. Yeah, maybe I, I'm generalizing. I, oh, I I love it that you know that you can you follow that path that th- this is the path you're supposed to be on. However, so this is something. Yeah. This is something. Laura Stein actually said this once, and this has stuck with me. Laura Stein, the found, original founder of TEDx, um, someone was asking her somewhere about the, the strategy for TEDx and kind of the long-term plan and you know the five-year roadmap and those kinds of things, and she said, "Yeah, we you know we have some of those things in place," but she said, "You know, I'm much more of a compass leader, and that I'm going to follow my compass and what feels right at any given moment. I'm going to do that." And I talked when I, when I have coaching conversations or when people ask me this question about for me personally, what's my five-year plan? What's whatever these kinds of things? I come back to that. It's that like to me, it's more about my compass. And if my compass mm-hmm, is calibrated mm-hmm, correctly, mm-hmm. I'm going to follow that. Yeah. And that who knows where that'll take you? I, I, I as an improver, um, I'm. It's all about following that, right? You follow the energy. What's been the biggest surprise for you in this? Um. I mean, one is probably is just a surprise of how much of my life this has become. It takes up a lot of time, but I think it, it would be it would be diminutive to say it's just about the fact that oh, it takes up time. What I mean by that it's become so much of my life is that also it's so much of my social network, it's so much of my uh, my friendships that even maybe the news I consume, the things that I get, like. As you know, when you become a TEDx organizer, you automatically get like 2,000 friends on Facebook. Some of them don't even know who they are. I know, I know. know. It just happens. And so your Facebook feed now has some Russian and some Cyrillic and so all kinds of different things. Um, And that's a a really cool thing. um, So that that may be the biggest. I think maybe the other is, and this is, we've, we've circled around this point, but this idea that we at some point went from being event organizers to community instigators. And that's a pivotal, important distinction in that if we just view ourselves as event planners, that's great and we can put together these great events. But really what most of us have done is at some degree of maturity is you've started to really instigate a a community. Um, And that's a very powerful position to be in that wields a lot of power, which is a good thing and also a very nerve wracking thing, right? but that, I think that's an important distinction. The the care and feeding of that community is um, really important. I've been, I mean, my uh, I was lucky enough in 2003 to build the first community for TED when Chris had bought the conference and got me really thinking about community in a way that I had never had before. And so it was one of those. My my had. I was not in the community business, but when you get around Ted and you get around these people, you, you want to be around that community. Right. I mean, it's, it's absolutely where you want to be. Right. And in 2017, we're all in the community business, whether we want to be or not. And, yeah. and so yes. it's, it's yes. important to think about, do you want to be someone who is a uh, passive participant in the variety of different communities in which we exist every day? Or do you want to be someone who's, who's a driver and a leader of a thriving community? Um, uh, because that's important. And a community is not just a distribution list, right? A community is a right. group of people who have assembled around a common interest who are headed in some kind of strategic direction. Exactly. Exactly. And that's the, the, the value in what we can do as TEDx organizers is provide some strategic direction to a really diverse, cool, badass group of people. Um, and that's just a great thing to collect over the course of your life is badass, great people. 
there's a, there's a great book you might want to look at. It's called The New Community Rules. Um, it's very good. What, what has been the, the biggest challenge for you in doing this? I mean, you, you, you know, you've gone from zero to something amazing in five years, but what's the big challenge in that? Big dragon you've had to slay. Um, I think a lot of us probably at this level of, um, you know, five, six years in succession management, right? Um, like that's probably just one of the biggest things because it's really difficult. You know, Nate Mook and I were having a conversation a couple weeks ago. He said, name two events in the U S two big events in the U S other than university events that have gone through successful leadership transitions. And it's actually really hard. Like, I think San Diego has to a certain degree with Jack and others, but like a lot of the a lot of big TEDx events that were around early on in TEDx uh, East, um, TEDx Midwest, TEDx like a lot of these big ones haven't continued beyond just uh, having you know being able to pass the baton. Right. You know, in TEDx in in the Europe, TEDx Amsterdam has 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 done this really tremendously well, um, but succession management continues to be a big challenge. Um, and I think that's, it's interesting because the people who are good at running a TEDx event and instigating this community are self-starter people and right, right. Who, who kind of want to walk their own dog and don't want to go walk someone else's dog. And so getting someone else to walk your dog is, is pretty hard because the person who would be really good at it would rather just walk their own dog. Um, so that's a hard thing. Oh gosh. And, and I think of herding cats in the same way. Um, you know, who, who gave me a really good answer on that um, that supports what you're saying was Herbert at um, PSU, where he talks about, you know, the, the current team has to hire, recruit, hire and train the new team. And there's yep. a, a transfer of knowledge. And, and so I'm, I'm thinking about that a lot in terms of that question and figuring out, you know, how do we do that? How do we pay attention to that? What? But it's that beyond, and it's that beyond an event organizing team. Yes. It's that as a with a long term community strategy and community, and that's hard with handoff. And we, I mean, I'm thinking of myself, TEDx Santa Barbara, in the conversations because we we were TEDx American Riviera, and you can't brand under that kind of name anymore. So we had to come back as TEDx Santa Barbara, and I said, "Here's a chance to rebrand, new team. Let's." rethink this and then said, listen, we're doing this. Everybody that's involved, this is for a long haul. We're building a long-term brand for the community. So people are, the community is proud that there's a TEDx here, that it's a destination TEDx, right? People are going to come here to visit. And so you're thinking long-term, but I'm already thinking about how do I replace myself, right? So it's that succession plan. And that's the interesting thing too, right? About creating these community brands is, is, is the TEDx brand the brand you lead with or is there something else because like what we have gone to in creative in, in creative engagement at j and j right is that tedx j and j is one thing in this broader creative engagement or like what john has done at tedx beacon street right is tedx beacon street is kind of one piece of this ideas in action i think what sarge has done in baltimore tedx baltimore is one piece of this broader collision so so there's different ways mm-hmm. to think about doing mm-hmm. this and it's it's hard but but it's we got the right people thinking about it what yeah. what advice would you give to um, the person who's listening right now who found this podcast because they're considering doing a TEDx? 
What advice would you give that person? Uh, do it. <laughs> <laughs> you went all Nike on me for a second. What advice yeah. would you give to a veteran who's, you know, got three or four under their belt? I think make sure you're thinking of yourself as a community instigator and organize, not an event organizer. Um, you can't, you cannot, you can't elevate yourself too much as a TEDx organizer, in my opinion. You can't elevate your role too much. You can't elevate the roles of the people under you on a team too much, because, um, and I hate to say it this way, like, but you can always, you can always find volunteers who can help with aspects of the event planning. If you're, if you're doing volunteer management and recruitment and excitement, right, you can find people who can do those kinds of things. So how do you continue to elevate yourself, pull yourself out of the weeds of event organizing and the tactical logistics and really start thinking about community strategy? Um, because I think that is the really exciting opportunity within your communities and, and think beyond an annual experience. What are the ongoing touch points? I think in Albuquerque, Tim and team do a really good job with, with a series of different touch points that happen. Um, but that would be my biggest advice is you've already picked yourself to be a leader of something extraordinary. Yeah. Continue to elevate what that extraordinary thing is. Amplify, exaggerate. I love that. What are you looking forward to uh, and think of the next TEDx that you're going to? What are you looking forward to? Um, always just looking forward to learning something new, you know, meeting new people. I think the next TEDx event that I will go to will be TEDx Carthage in, uh, in Tunisia, uh, which is a great event. I've had the opportunity to be there before. Um, so there's nothing not to look forward to about going to Tunisia, right? So, If you had, well, you know, you've, it sounds like you can go kind of anywhere in the world you want, but if you had a, uh, a plane ticket and the time to enjoy it, what TEDx would you like to go visit? Amy Robinson and I have had the goal to do the first TEDx uh, on the moon. So that would be my <laughs> response. It's not the right plane ticket. Uh, that's not the vehicle to get there. But at some point, we're going to make that so happen. So we have to go get Sir Richard to help us here. Or, um, well, no, we'll get uh, uh, Jeff Bezos, who's a longtime TEDster, to get on board for this. Why not? And I say we would be willing to, if the moon is too much of a challenge, I'm totally willing to do one on an asteroid or in the International Space Station or in some other um, far distant place. We'll get NASA on this, right? We got to do a TEDx in space. So that's so we could abstract it say TEDx in space. Correct. I love that. The show's called Hacking the Red Circle, and it's about kind of breaking the code and figuring out how to do it and, and uh, you know, how do you MacGyver um, this uh, this event. What what's your best hack in six or seven words? Find amazing people. Let them do their thing. I love it. That's that's exactly. Let them do their thing. I um. I'm so fortunate to have uh, started this show because the kind of conversations I have with guys like you, people who've been there, done that, and then the the ones who I talked to, TEDx von du Lac, uh, a couple of days ago, and her event's in August, and she's kind of freaking out, but she's 
she's all in, right? I talked to a 19-year-old who did her TEDx at 18, gave her first TED Talk at 16. And the, the kind of people that are uh, we are as organizers are just amazing. Steve, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Can't wait to listen uh, to uh, the other 25 episodes here that are launching. <laughs> yeah, we're going to launch. We're going to launch with 25, and then uh, we'll do uh, one a week. It's already. It took two posts in Facebook to fill my buffer for four months worth of recording. So um, it was. <laughs> So, Mark, do you have a guest interviewer who will be interviewing you? <laughs> I Maybe I'll call you and you could do that. <laughs> I, I, I would love to. <laughs> we'll do that. Uh, I will take you up on that. Steve, thanks well, so much beautiful. for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Hacking the Red Circle. Have an idea for a guest for the show? Or would you like to tell us your TEDx story? Just drop me a note in an email to mark at hackingtheredcircle.com. Please be sure to rate, write, and review the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. Makes a huge difference. And share the show with your team as we seek to grow our audience around the world. Until next time, this is Mark Sylvester, your host for Hacking the Red Circle.